If you've been around this earth for more than a minute, no doubt there's been a time when you wanted to sneak off into a corner and just quietly disappear for one reason or another. Maybe from embarrassment. Maybe you stuck your foot in your mouth. I wouldn't know anything about that. Uh, maybe you lost control of some situation. Parents of young children know all too well those moments when we want to walk out of the room and go hide in the closet and, and just let the chaos work itself out eventually. To realize you're caught in the middle of a moment that's spiraling out of your control is truly a helpless feat. What do I do? How do I regain some semblance of order, dignity? What does it say about me that I've stepped into this mess and now I don't know what to do next? It can be tough. When something like this happens, you can experience a very strong sense of loss, or even a bit of imposter syndrome. Loss of control is a difficult pill to swallow. I had one of these, um, I've completely lost control moments about 14 or 15 years ago. I was the visiting preacher on a Sunday morning in a church in Glasgow, Scotland. Visiting preacher probably isn't the best way of putting it. It's more like visiting minister because in, the, in that tradition, the minister leads almost everything in the service. Even if you are visiting, you, you do everything, not merely the sermon. So I was doing that. Wonderful church, some very fine folk, enjoyed it very much. They are committed to ministry, committed to Christ. Uh, but when you only known a, a few of those, when you only know a few of those people, and you're asked to welcome the congregation, uh, to lead the opening prayers, to deliver the children's sermon with a bunch of kids gathered around at your feet in the front of the sanctuary. When you're asked to officiate communion and to preach, well, that can be a lot, right? Especially if you are the visitor. Heavy responsibility. Things were going well. I had made it through a good portion of the service, and then I stood up uh, in a pulpit, not too dissimilar from something like this, and a gentleman at the same time stood up and came up next to me, the pulpit, and turned around and said that he had a word from God to share, and it was critical that he share it. Can you imagine how I felt at that moment? What added to the drama was that it, it had not been too much time prior to this moment uh, in 2007 when the London terrorist attacks took place in the London Tube. You may remember that. I went on a couple of buses. And the gentleman who stood next to me was of Middle Eastern descent. So what do you do? Well, my immediate thought was... Everything is lost. This is done. I will not be able to preach. How do I go forward? We should just all walk out the back door. And he began talking and babbling about nothing really. And quickly several of the men in the congregation joined me up there. And uh, one in particular was a, a very large man. And he just quietly moved in between me and this gentleman. And I discovered later that he was a retired police officer 
in the uh, Glasgow Police Department. So that was incredibly kind, and he was protecting me. The men were able to talk this gentleman off the stage and back to, to the back of the sanctuary. Uh, but initially, he refused to leave the building. The sanctuary in that church was divided uh, between the chairs in the back and the foyer by about an eight-foot piece of glass. Uh, it did not go all the way to the ceiling in that very uh, high church. So everyone, even when he's in the back, could see and hear everything that was going on. And it was a little rowdy. Every 30 seconds or so, this guy let out a big yell and resisted. and it, I just didn't know what was about to happen. What would you do? I know what I wanted to do. I felt very much out of control of the situation. And I wanted to leave. It's very important. A preacher intuitively believes that if anything significant is going to come of a worship service, things need to go according to plan. We plan these things meticulously. You know that, right? We have an order. We want a particular order. We want music to fit and all of that kind of thing. We don't want to leave things to chance. I've told you how I feel about spontaneous testimonies in the service, right? Not good. And I like it that way mainly because if it's not that way, I do feel out of control. And God works His purposes in worship through those of us who are up here and who lead it. And when all of that slips through our fingers, there is a strong sense of loss and emptiness. And here's the irony of the upside-down upside kingdom of Jesus. The Christian faith is an invitation to step into a life of losing control when every instinct in us and every message we get from our culture is to take control of our lives. What we feel and what we're told is when life is dealing you a bad hand and it's slipping through your fingers, then grip it more tightly and grab even more. Hold on to what you got, get as much as you can, and run over anyone that gets in your way. Take control of your life. Push out the toxic people. You're the only one who knows what's best for you. Control is everything. So we have to control our careers, better control our relationships, our family Christmases have to be controlled very closely, our ministries, our churches. And when we lose some of that, we feel like we've lost something of ourselves. In our reading from John's Gospel, we have a fascinating vignette that's often overlooked in favor of the one that's just a few verses before it, the one with Jesus and Nicodemus. And, but in this one, Jesus has started baptizing with his disciples in the countryside, just like his cousin John the Baptist had been. We might say Jesus has planted a new 
megachurch just across the street. It's one thing to go plant in Egypt or in Damascus. After all, they need the good news. They really need the good news there. But Jesus arrives on the scene preaching the exact same message as John did. Remember? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus said, go sell all your goods, give to the poor. Sounded just like John the Baptist. So he's preaching the same message as John is, and he does it now within a stone's throw of John. I foresee trouble. Remember, Mark's gospel, we heard it last week, told us that all of Judea and Jerusalem were coming out to hear John preach, and hundreds of them were getting baptized. He even attracted the attention of the priests and the Levites, we read in John 1. And they came out to the countryside to quiz him about who he was, hoping to get an explanation as to why such a vagabond would attract crowds and garner such a following. John the Baptist was a big deal. And he knew he was a big deal. Gospel of Mark says, John quotes John as saying, Someone is already here who is mightier than I am. Meaning, John knows, at least to some extent, that he is mighty. He has influence, he has power. And now, Jesus, of all people, pitches up right next door to John. Here we have a good old-fashioned church mess, don't we? The mainline church in Jerusalem is on rapid decline, with everyone going out to the suburbs to listen to this charismatic preacher who has to be seen to be believed. The guy's message is countercultural. It captures the imaginations of the young people who don't quite buy into the religious establishment. I mean, John's shaking his fist at the man and all that. Cool. But now, now even John's voice has begun to wane just a bit. Another preacher is on the scene who's not only preaching with divine authority, but this guy's got a penchant for good wine at weddings. Word had gotten around about that little episode, believe you me. So when Jesus plants his church next door to John, John's disciples are more than a bit perturbed. Isn't that the guy you baptized, John? Why is he stepping on our patch, taking our members? Look, everyone's leaving us and going to him. Can you imagine the chatter amongst the folk at the first wilderness church? Yeah. You heard about the new preacher over at First Countryside Church? <laughs> Have you heard about some of his gimmicks to get people to attend? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who wouldn't leave our pastor and his diet of locusts when this guy helps everyone gets drunk at weddings? Disgusting. That can't be from God. 
He's hanging out with prostitutes and drunks and performing miracles. Oh, I doubt it. And it, may not, it might not take much of our imagination to hear that, right? And John's response is truly remarkable. Remember, here's a man who is so single-minded in his life calling that he doesn't even bother to do anything else. We have no record of any activity that John does other than preaching and baptizing. Preaching and baptizing out in the wilderness. That's it. And he's done all of that so successfully that everyone from Herod to the, original, uh, to the religious establishment to the everyday person in Jerusalem had come to hear. And his response to his disciples, to his fearful followers, is this. Look, guys, all of this that you see, everything we have, I didn't do any of it. It's not my ministry. You're not my followers. This power is nothing that I possess, and these people are not repenting in order to follow me. God's in charge of it. It's a gift from Him, and I have zero control in any of it. None. Zilch. Powerless. He must increase. I must decrease. This is a guy who is truly a big deal. I can't help but wonder what would the church be like if each of us, each of us from the pastors, from the elders, to the ministry directors, to the hospitality team, to the person who unlocks and locks the doors, every one of us, what would we look like? What would the church look like if we really viewed everything, especially ministry, not as something we possess, not ours, but a gift from God. My brother works in an organization that supports and advises and coaches churches. They're connected to a number of very large associations and extremely large churches with almost limitless resources. This past week, I was talking to him on the phone. Kind of out of the blue. I don't know what brought it on. He said to me, you know, we've worked with dozens of pastors from large churches. Dozens. And Chris said, every one of them is the same. They got it all down. They're doing it the right way. Everybody else is doing it the wrong way. Can't tell them anything. Big deal. Without exception, he said. He's not the only person to say that to me. Bigger the crowd, bigger the ego. But lest I let myself and you off the hook a little too easily, that same disease infects us if we're honest with ourselves. 
doesn't matter whether we are a pastor of a large church, a small church, or we just serve at the door, up here, wash dishes. We all have this innate tendency to dig our tentacles into whatever it is that we believe is ours. And then we start to assimilate it into our identity. So now we can't let it go. Or we can't entertain doing it a different way. I was at a church once. I probably shouldn't tell this story, but I was at a church once and uh, I decided to take the flags off of the stage. And I took them off and I hid them in the church. No one knew where they were. Staff, nobody. You would have thought that I had denied the deity of Jesus. That had become such an ingrained part of the identity. It's something we possess. Now we can't do things a different way. Now we can't do things differently because it's us who are possessing it. It's ours. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. This is exactly the opposite of what it means to be the church. The church is supposed to be full of servants. You know how servants are, right? Servants give away. They don't expect anything in return. They're not looking for an ROI. They sacrifice. They give away. The church is supposed to be full of servants who are crying out in the wilderness of this world so that everyone will look away from them to Jesus. And then if Jesus decides to do something else than we expect him to do, which is often, then our responsibility is to release all of it and have the humility to decrease while he increases. We relinquish control. Ah, it's so difficult to do, isn't it? Most of you know, I was a pastor at another church in the Portland area, and now I'm not at that church. And I've had to adjust to the weird feeling when I bump into former congregants who no longer see me as their pastor quite the same way. And then they talk about how great their current pastor is. And he is. He's great. Um, still. Something I learned about myself in those encounters. We have to learn to extract our tentacles out of something that doesn't belong to us to begin with. Lose control. But lest you think this is bad news, listen to John the Baptist. The relinquishing of control brings joy. Did you hear that? Here's what he says. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom. He's talking about himself there. I'm just a friend. Who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Talking about Jesus. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must increase. The decreasing, the anonymity, the loss of control of image and power and influence, the loss of a platform on TikTok and Instagram and LinkedIn, 
is itself, all of that loss, is itself a source of joy. Young people, when have you ever heard something as weird as that? When was the last time the Portland Business Journal published their bottom 40 under 40 years old? They don't publish the bottom 40 under 40, they publish the top 40 under 40 because they're the ones with money and power and influence. They're a big deal. And we imbibe all of this stuff. This is the air we breathe, thinking that all of that is what brings us real joy. And John the Baptist is on the verge of losing every aspect of his ministry, not too many months ahead, including his life. The arrival of that Messiah to whom he points signals John's demise. And in the face of that, he says, my joy is complete. And this is the good news of Jesus. As we continually look away from ourselves and we lose control. That's when we're finally in a position to receive from God the life of His Son. And we can begin to know true joy. It's the third Sunday of Advent. This Advent candle is the candle of joy. It's when we lose all of that stuff. That's when our joy can be complete. And I want that for us today. And maybe you're in a place right now where the loss of control is characterizing your life. Maybe that's true for your family, your health, your career. And perhaps you're struggling to keep control and the anxiety of it all is overwhelming you and joy seems elusive. There's some of that that's true for us, too, isn't it, in town? It's been over 20 years in town church. 20 years of serving, of people being baptized and becoming mature followers of Jesus. And some of those people are sitting in this room today. But now, what about our future? We feel some uncertainty, don't we? And we wonder. What is God going to do with us? It's a bit of loss of control. I've got to be honest with you and say, I don't love how that possibility of loss at in town makes me feel. Joy and ego would definitely take a hit. Or would it? Perhaps the loss of control and the trust that God really does know what he's doing in Jesus is exactly what we need. Exactly what we need to experience the true joy of the Advent season. What a plot twist that would be. God establishes something else just over there across the way within eyesight. 
And we have the freedom to rejoice and give thanks. Who knows? But that's the Jesus way, even for the greatest among us, like John the Baptist. You're wondering what happened in Costco that Sunday morning, aren't you? I didn't finish the story. It was to keep you awake and to stay to the end of the sermon. But you'll be disappointed in the punishment. While all the chaos was going on, we stood, we prayed, we hugged each other, we milled about for a couple of minutes, we came back and we prayed again. And while we did all that, eventually the men talked him into leaving and our friend was able to get the medical attention that he needed. He just hadn't taken his meds. And I pressed on with the sermon, although I have no idea exactly what I preach. What we all did, more than ever before, more than any Sunday in recent memory at that time, is we looked to Jesus. We prayed to Jesus, we listened deeply to Jesus, and pointed each other to Him. And we admitted in all of that, that we had no control over our situation. And I can honestly tell you, when we left, our hearts were full, and our joy complete.